This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now, join Ringler Radio host, Larry Cohen. Welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and again, I want to thank you for joining us today. Ringler Radio, as you know, is here to bring you all the important news and information you need to know about the settlement industry, and our topics have ranged uh, from all kinds of issues affecting attorneys from both the plaintiff and defense side and their clients, and, of course, the insurance claims industry. And uh, you can find all of our Ringler Radio shows on our website, ringlerassociates.com, or on the legaltalknetwork.com. Well, today we're coming to you from the 2007 NSSTA uh, annual meeting and conference, which is held this year in beautiful Toronto, Canada. I guess I should say Toronto, Ontario, Canada, because it's it's a wonderful city, and it's a a tremendously multicultural city, and uh, anyone who hasn't visited Toronto, I certainly would encourage you. We've had a great time here. And what is especially exciting for me today is we're going to be discussing the differences between the structured settlement system in the United States and Canada. And we're also going to be talking about how structured settlements are handled in Canada compared to the United States. And joining me today as my co-host is Mark Vogel, who's our Ringler Associate in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, Mark's been a certified uh, structured settlement consultant for a number of years. He's had a financial planning background, and he's been in structured settlements and claims uh, and in financial industry for over 21 years. He's uh, involved in over 1,000 mediations in nearly all 50 states. That sounds pretty impressive to me, Mark, and uh, thanks for joining me today on Ringle Radio. Thanks, Larry. Well, our special guests today are uh, two people that are very uh, important in the Canadian structured settlement industry and uh, are also friends of us here at Ringler. I'd like to welcome our special guest, Bob Baxter. Bob began his career in the insurance industry in 1966. Uh, He's also handled uh, a lot of personal injury claims uh, in, in, in regarding uh, structured settlements with annuities uh, supplied by life insurance carriers. And as structured settlements became uh, more involved in Canada, he, uh, Bob, I guess, saw this as a perfect fit for himself, and he moved into the structured settlement field in 1978. Uh, that's a long time, Bob, between uh, 66 and 78. You had a lot, of, uh, a lot of interesting things you were doing then. I'm an old guy. <laughs> That's what they say about me. I guess that makes us the two of the same. Well, for more than uh, 29 years, he's been devoted to the presentation of structured settlements to both the plaintiff and defense lawyers, as well as casualty insurers. And uh, he's one of the real uh, stalwarts in the structured settlement industry here in Canada. And uh, Mark, why don't you introduce our other special guest? Oh, we would like to also welcome Kyla Baxter after receiving her B.A., From Carleton University in 1995, Kyla worked in a litigation firm for several years before entering the field of structured settlements. Kyla has been with Baxter's Inc. for over 10 years and is currently managing director. A regular presenter on structured settlements at the Insurance Institute of Ontario, Kyla also conducts structured settlement seminars to leading casualty insurers in Canada. Kyla brings the human aspect to structured settlements and is passionate about protecting the future of her clients and their families. Welcome to the show, Kyla. Thank you. 
Well, Kyle and Bob, it's a, really a pleasure to have you here, uh, especially up here in Toronto. And I know you welcomed me to Toronto as you sat down, and I want to thank you again for that. Well, here's a somewhat open-ended question to start our procedures here. Why don't you talk a little bit about the differences between the structured settlement uh, system in Canada versus the United States, as you, as you know it? Okay. Um, well, there's a few differences that I've noticed, um, one being the majority of cases I find in the States are assigned. Um, in Canada, that's not so much the case. Um, the assignment fees are a huge difference. They're $500 in the States, and I believe that they're built into the contract, whereas in Canada, they're $2,000 per Well, that, that, explains, that explains the basic difference yeah. between that. Um, there's a guarantee system, too, on the contracts that we have in Canada, where I don't think it's the same in the States. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, Kyla? What do you mean it's different here in Canada? Um, in Canada, we have three guarantors on the, on the structured settlement. We have the assets of the life company. We then have a, an organization called Assurus. It used to be called Comp Corp in Canada. It's now called Assurus. And it's uh, all the life carriers in Canada are members of. And what they say is they will pay either $2,000 per month of the monthly contract or 85% of the original value if it's over $2,000 a month, whichever is greater, which is a huge benefit to the clients. Um, if there's still a remaining payment that has not been covered once the assets of the life company and assurers have come in, it then falls then on the owner. Is that the same if the case is assigned or if it is unassigned? That's correct, yes. So Assurus basically acts as the overall guarantor for all the life companies in Canada. That's whereas correct. Whereas in the, in the States, each... Each particular life company has a guarantor uh, process for itself. Is uh, that what you're saying? Yes, and I believe you also have a state fund that you have access to, and each state varies. We have, yeah, we have state guarantee funds that uh, provide, in the event of, let's say, an insolvency, Correct. they provide a, a, a certain cushion, and that's a fairly limited amount in, in, in each state, and there are certain rules and regulations. So you're saying that sure it's really here in Canada provides a broad-based guarantee. Correct. That, that's terrific. Well, that's really good. What about uh, the strict government regulations up here in Canada? How, how, how have the, the government? How has the government uh, interplayed itself into the structured settlement field here in terms of regulation? Well, well, just before we do that, um, we, in Canada we are um, forced to use different uh, different systems. Each province has its own uh, insurance program. Mm. British Columbia is called ICBC, the Insurance Corporation of BC, and it's pretty much a, a government-controlled no-fault. Alberta is open to tort, and uh, there's talk of some change coming into no-fault. Saskatchewan is a, a no-fault. Uh, Manitoba is a, a no-fault called AutoPAC or MPIC. Ontario is, the bulk of our business comes out of Ontario, and it's a, a two-part system. It's accident benefits and tort. Uh, the Maritimes and well, Quebec is different entirely. It's uh, it's called the Régie, and uh, that's a no-fault system where they simply don't cash out claims. When you when you talk about the no-fault in these various provinces, is that they have a limitation on what a, what a claim can can be settled for at certain levels, or what makes the difference between the no-fault system in some of these provinces and that let's say that two-prong system? Well, let's look at Ontario first. Um, Ontario's accident benefit program provides for an income stream, uh, IRBs, and um, income replacement benefit. And um, it has a uh, it has a two-part uh, aspect to it. Um, the standard policy 
will pay you up to $400 a week for life um, if you have if you qualify under their their program. And um, if you take the excess program, uh, which you pay for, of course, it goes up to $1,000 a week and indexed to the CPI payable for life. So it's not not a bad benefit. So that's part one. Part two is uh, attendant care benefits that uh, will have a maximum of a million dollars under the standard policy. And the uh, supplementary med and rehab uh, will pay a million dollars. And then you have other minor aspects like housekeeping and that sort of thing. Now, now just just to be clear, are you, are you talking basically about automobile policies and just those automobile. provinces? Yeah. Okay. So so the automobile policies in the various provinces have certain uh, limitations and certain different uh, amounts that people can can have and, and and even lifetime limitations, as you said. And then ultimately, we're going to talk a little later about how you you then translate that into a structured settlement annuity to mm-hmm. take care of some of those benefit streams. Can you tell us a little bit about long-term disability cases? Are you able to structure those? That's interesting. Uh, I have some material here that I'll leave with you, if you like. About five years ago, uh, up to five years ago, you couldn't structure a an LTD claim. But um, the laws have changed, but they don't really make it a lot easier. It all begins with who paid the premium for the original policy. If the individual paid the premium 100%, the benefits he receives are tax-free. When he has a claim, and the claim usually consists of uh, uh, payment for a period of time, the insurer cuts him off, he sues the insurer, uh, four or five years go by before they negotiate some kind of a settlement. If, in fact, the insurer agrees that um, they were erroneous in settling this thing, they have to pay the uh, four or five years of back payments, and then they get into... uh, a uh, an agreement on futures. So if the individual paid the premium for his benefit, he can get the insurance company to uh, re- reinstate the contract. So it, it's as though it never stopped. Um, or he can take the cash. So from my experience, in those kinds of situations, even though he is entitled to some tax-free payments, having paid the premiums, they take the cash. I have not settled a case in the form of a structure. There have been a couple of cases, and I, as I said, I have some material for you. And, and just as, a, as an aside, <laughs> the reason he could get a tax, that individual could get a tax-free payment on his LTD was because he paid the premium for the policy. Correct. If, it was, if he was part of, a, let's say, a, a, a corporation where they, they paid the, pol- the, the premium, he could not get the tax-free payments. Is that that's, true? That's, that's the same way it is in the U.S. Okay. You know. Even if he paid... Even if the corporation paid part of the premium, right, uh, he he would not have a tax-free right. payment. And just to complete that thought, you know, in the U.S., in the structured settlement field, those of us who have tried to do disability work, uh, and that's typically structures up to age sixty-five, which disability policies would uh, would apply to. It's it's not as easy, and and Mark knows that as well, because uh, the way they've reserved a lot of those cases. Uh, doesn't allow for a great saving to, to take place when you do a structure, and I'm sure you found that up here. Is that kind of? There's another thing too. The uh, the, the person that, um, that decides they want to take a, a structure on an LTD claim, it has to mirror the original contract. So if the original contract was a five-year plan, the payments are five years. If the original policy was a term to sixty-five, then they have to take a term to sixty-five. Now, from my experience, all 
that happens with the structured settlement is they use it as a calculator to find out uh, how much money should or could be on the table. And invariably, the, we only have two cases that uh, we're talking in the millions. Um, for the most part, they're just um, um, small amounts of money, like under $2,000 a month. So when you capitalize that at maybe $150,000, dollars after the legals are paid, they take the cash. Mm-hmm. Be interesting, Larry. I think this is going to be a, a growing area. I don't know what things are like in your neck of the woods, but I, I know there's a, an attorney in my hometown that is actually specializing in this type of case. Mm. And at uh, any given point in time, he's probably got 50 or 60 active files going. And I think I think we are going to be working uh, to expand the marketplace for structured settlements. And we're looking at areas like LTD and others and trying to get some of those cases in, in the mix. But let's talk about the market uh, for structured settlements up here in Canada. What, what, how would you describe the market here? Is it limited or, or, or is it more unlimited as time goes by? Um, I don't think much has changed. I think it's quite limited um, in terms of personal injury claims. Mm-hmm. That is all we're allowed to structure. Now, within that, we have dog bite, slip and fall. Um, recently, we have a lot of sexual abuse cases, mm-hmm. um, liability issues, med mal, and product liability um, but I, it, in terms of expanding past personal injury litigation, mm-hmm. it has not expanded beyond that. Well, just to follow up on that, in the, in the U.S., there's been a distinction between what we call physical injury and, and the more broad concept of personal injury. So, for example, in the, in the States, if someone was uh, involved in employment discrimination or, let's say, sexual harassment without a physical injury, that would they would treat that differently in terms of its tax treatment. Up here, if someone has that, let's say, sexual harassment without a physical injury, without a what we call in the states a blood injury, how would they treat that versus a broken leg? Let's say. I don't think that that would be able to be structured. It would it would be a sexual abuse where abuse has been inflicted upon the person. Something not physical. Correct. Okay, something yes. physical. Yes. Okay, well that's good. That 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 mirrors the, the system in the states. Tell us a little bit about settlement monies here in Canada. Is everything received in the form of damages? Yes. Um, I have here a bulletin. Um, There's another question that I'm sure you're going to ask that's (laughs) related to this one. And um, how are these things controlled by the government or or expressed by the government? And there is nothing in the Tax Act that deals specifically with structured settlements. It's all covered under a bulletin called IT365R2 an interpretation bulletin. And this is a very recent document. It's dated 1987, and they and they haven't made a change <laughs> since. Uh, there's a rumor that they are going to expand it and or broaden the definitions. But this is the guideline used to determine whether or not a case can be structured or not. Um, this, coupled with an advanced tax ruling that you approach uh, Revenue Canada with, or CRA, and uh, they determine whether or not you are allowed to do a tax-free stream of payments. Hmm. Those are the only two documents. Well, you know, it's interesting. In the States, uh, back in the 70s when structures just started getting going, we, we were also uh, directed by what we called the revenue rulings, not, not, not necessarily something statutory. And we had this revenue ruling, 79-220, which allowed us to continue on in a somewhat questionable but, but still definitive way. And uh, it wasn't until 1983 in the States when we had the Periodic Payment Settlement Act by Congress that really kind of put its stamp on this process. So you're telling me you haven't had a, a real Revenue Canada kind of 
definitive statement on all this. You're, you're still working off of opinions letters and revenue-type rulings. Is that right, Bob? We have an unusual case uh, right now. It's uh, it's not a – it was at one time a, a, a set of personal injury claims. There's a multitude of them. And here we need to have a property casualty company as owner of the annuity contract. Um, and the assignment process has to replace the existing company with another one. Mm. Um, we had a case uh, – or this situation is um, – the casualty company went into receivership, and we had to find a new replacement. So we went to, we found one, very, very expensive, um, but we had to go to Revenue Canada to get a tax ruling. So we got our tax ruling, and one of the conditions of the tax ruling was that each claimant would consent to this change of owner of the contract. And we changed it from a minuscule company to a monster company. Mm-hmm. And Everybody but one signed the document. And Revenue Canada says, I'm not getting involved. I can't make him sign. So, <laughs> so dealing with Revenue Canada. It's not easy. That's yeah, interesting. I, I've easy. got a question, Larry, Bob. Um, in the States, I think the original motivation for Congress to do things legislatively relative to structured settlements stemmed from people receiving large insurance settlements, dissipating those funds, and then falling back on some form of public assistance, would that scenario be the same here in Canada? Is there a, is there a danger to you know, the revenue of your country, in effect, in the event that somebody dissipated their settlement, made some bad decisions? And Well, I think that's, that's the reason why um, the IT bulletin came into effect, is, is to protect these people from going on welfare. Um, I have a case that I've just worked on, and um, this... 34-year-old had never worked before. He was injured when he was in school. And um, he got $1.2 million. And we spent hours um, going through different scenarios. I think we were on number 42 by the time we finished it. And um, he, through email communication as well as meeting a person, he thought that he could do better outside. And if he didn't go with the structure, at least he could fall back onto the welfare system. Yeah. yeah, and it was just so scary to me the fact that he had to even mention that when he, I mean, the basis of his settlement was income replacement, yeah. and this was going to be guaranteed for the rest of his life. Well, he just wanted more. It sounded like he was influenced by some financial planning types. Oh, <laughs> very much so. I think he had everybody. Yeah. Well, we find that we find that in the states as well. It's and it's a it's a troubling issue. We have mm-hmm. to keep dealing with it. Let's uh, let's talk a little little bit about annuities up here in Canada. Um, especially in the personal injury cases, because are, uh, let me just make sure I clarify. What about the workers' compensation uh, area in Canada? You're saying you can't do the, work, the workers' comp cases here. Quite a number of years ago, a, uh, a member of the um, the U.S. structured people came up to Canada, and uh, we approached workers' comp to try and uh, encourage them to uh, use structured settlements. And our ploy really was, what happens when you, you get to the bottom of the barrel and there's no more money? Are you interested in saving money on all your claim settlements? And they said, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I, when I asked why, they said, this is a government agency. We're just going to go back to the well. Mm, well, that's, <laughs> and, that's a problem. And a very difficult market to break. Exactly. 
One, one thing before Mark's going to talk, I think, a little bit more about this bottom-up process, but just tell us, just historically, how many cases, how many lawsuits are there in Canada versus settlements? How does that work when, when someone's involved in, a, in, let's say, an automobile accident? What portion of these cases go to trial typically than, than get settled? How do you, the, what do you find? the average, go. it's about 2 to 5% that actually go to trial nowadays. So they're really encouraging the mediation negotiations before they actually have to hit trial level. Cool. And have you also found that there's a whole industry of mediation here in Canada? Huge. Huge, yeah. yeah. Just like we have in the States. Yeah. More and more. We, I asked a couple of lawyers that question, what percentage goes to trial? And he said in his firm of 21 lawyers, um, not even 2%, closer to 1% would go to trial. And he said, however... If you're dealing with, and he rattles off the name of several other lawyers in town, it could be as high as 15%. My, <laughs> <laughs> Some of them like to do that. You know, I've heard that there's a movement underway to build the structure from the bottom up. Can you explain that a little bit, please? I, I don't see it as a movement underway. Uh, we, we've been doing that concept uh, probably for 20 years with uh, one major insurer and uh, even in just a tort environment, it worked very well. And in the accident benefit environment, it works very well as well. And it's simply to uh, get to know the needs of the plaintiff, um, mm-hmm. outline them by, by damages, heads of damages, and put a dollar value on them and annuitize each and every one of them so that you can see what the global cost is to settle this claim. And accident benefits in particular are much easier to deal with because they have limits to them. And Kyla can explain uh, how the limit system works. Well, you should go ahead and explain it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob touched on it at the beginning. Um, each head of damage has its limits that we, once you've been deemed catastrophic, you're then entitled to those limits. Um, what we do is we go through each heads of damage, assess what's been paid to date, then find out what the remaining payments are, valueize that, annuitize that one in a structure, and we report back. What they then do is either piece off pieces of it. So we'll say, we'll, we'll structure at this time the income replacement portion. We're going to keep open the attendant care. Um, let's see if he's still going to need attendant care at that level for that long. Um, and they sometimes they settle it all in one big chunk, and sometimes they'll just say, we'll just get rid of the income replacement benefit. We're probably going to exhaust the limits in the other areas anyway. So, But with the um, with the accident benefits in Canada... What's exciting about that for the insurers is that because the payments are only due while the claimant is living, should something happen, they put a guarantee period on it and it reverts back to the owner. Do you have a reversionary system? Yes, we can have a rever- we okay. can We can put a reversionary system okay. in, although it's, it's rarely used. It's, it's often used as a negotiating tactic and then, it, then it's slipped away because uh, most people don't want the money to go back to the, to the funding funding party. Well, know. it's funny. In, 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 what was recently kind of rubbed people the wrong way is when an insurer decided not to own the contract, they'd assign their ownership over and still insist on a reversionary interest. And so that was kind of like a, a smack in the face for the claimants that they don't stand on. Owner. Yeah. Well, I can understand how psychologically that would be yeah. an impact. The, the, one of the things that I, I was concerned with, I like this build from the bottom up because it deals specifically what the individual has lost and uh, and it capitalizes what the insurance company has to pay to satisfy that. The um, the plaintiff, on the other hand, wants to get as much money on the table as possible by present value in the 
his future losses. And then from that, a discussion takes place or should take place where the plaintiff lawyer says, and I want the right to structure any or all of the settlement. In a no-fault um, situation, the many insurers say, if I'm going to put cash on the table because I'm prepaying my, my losses, then I want to control the reversionary aspect of that by uh, putting a limit as to how much you can take in cash. So if, if they settle for a million dollars, they they may not want to put more than two or 300000 as the cash component because if the guy dies, they've lost all that revenue. Hmm. That's interesting, Bob. It's one of the things I think that we strive to do at Ringler when we're working for uh, all the parties involved in the settlement process is to not allow the structured settlement to become some sort of an afterthought, but to try to begin to enter into the discussions and quantify some of the basic needs that people have in a post-accident situation. I think too often people are influenced by headlines that they read about multi-million dollar uh, verdicts or settlements that are reached. And, uh, you know, those sometimes can impede settlement process. And I, th- I think it's, it comes down to folks like us when we can really sit down and help people focus on uh, what are the basic needs and challenges that they're going to face that come against them putting their lives back together in the future. Well, you know, and, and what I'm going to talk about in a second is uh, a case that we can really bring to light that deals with those issues. And I think we should do that uh, after a short break. So let's take a short break right now. And when we come back, we'll have our... Further discussion with our guests Bob and Kyla Baxter. This is Ringler Radio, Internet Radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 130,000 cases structured. This is Ringler Radio, internet radio from Ringler Associates, placing more than $18 billion in structures over the past 30 years, and one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. Ringler Radio is produced by broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to the Legal Talk Network. It's free. We invite you to listen to our other shows on the Legal Talk Network and become a member. It's free at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Did you know Ringler Radio is one of the top three rated shows in iTunes? Thanks to all of our listeners who download all the Ringler Radio shows. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE? Including Ringler Radio. Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Well, welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, and I'm joined today by Mark Vogel, our structured settlement consultant uh, in charge of Grand Rapids. And uh, that's in Michigan, right, Mark? That is, Larry. (laughs) 
Not and too far away. There you go. And also, of course, our special guests, Bob Baxter and Kyla Baxter from Baxter Structured Settlements here in Toronto. Uh, Bob and Kyla, talk a little bit about uh, how Ringler has worked with uh, Baxter to accomplish uh, some structured settlements in Canada. I, I know that uh, there are some of those uh, cases that you have that uh, you sometimes come to the States to have to handle cases, and sometimes Ringler has cases in Canada where we want to do some uh, work. Uh, how does how does how has that worked out, and how has that relationship been going? We, we've had some good success uh, dealing with Ringler. Um, a case in particular uh, took place in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and uh, that's a city where you get on the eighth floor and you can see Winnipeg on one side, and Calgary <laughs> on the other. But a little it, flat there, Mark. A little I guess, flat, huh? right, Mark? But it was an interesting case, um, and there were many players involved, and. A Ringler person was uh, came up from Atlanta to uh, join us, and uh, the end result was a successful settlement for everybody. So that was that was kind of neat. And uh, currently, we have a Larry and I have a case on the go that uh, was again very complicated and multiple defendants and uh, multiple contributors. Um, exactly. Not, you know, not yet settled, but uh, we're working on it. We're working on it. It was very interesting. Um, and Bob and I actually have worked in the past uh, a little bit on some cases. But this particular case is interesting because it brought to light, it brings to light some of the issues that Kyla was talking about where you have uh, you've worked out many, many different programs for this individual that really needs this, this, these funds for the long-term care of, 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 a, of a young person. And yet talking to other financial people, they're being directed uh, in a little different way and, and with some guarantees of better returns and, and things like that, which may be to their detriment. And I know you, you're working hard, Kyla, to try to <laughs> turn that around. Give us a little insight on how you're working with that. And, and, and how does the plaintiff attorney, uh, now that the case is essentially settled, how has the plaintiff attorney been helping in that process? Um, well, it's, it's interesting working with American brokers because oftentimes um, we – Sometimes we're very involved in terms of the situation. Uh, oftentimes they just have a Canadian council, and the Canadian council will direct the plan, and we just seek out a, a U.S. broker, and they then we instruct what plan, and we pre-proceed from there. In this particular case that Bob and I have, this 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 woman uh, is being influenced by folks, and you're dealing trying dealing very hard to try to make this person understand what's happening, and and how if how effective is the plaintiff attorney been to help you in this process, Bob? Quite frankly, not at all. <laughs> well, that's that's what I'm getting at. Uh, once that case settled, it's really you. Uh, you. You're sitting down with that individual making it work. Well, the problem is in Canada, I, I find in, in the States anyway, that structured settlements are much more known than they are in Canada. Um, you have many more structured brokers out there than we do. In Canada, you're only aware of a structured settlement when you've been injured in, in, in a personal injury claim. Mm-hmm. And so... The information isn't there for them unless they're in that situation. Um, we try to encourage the plaintiff counsel to enforce the structure because it protects them in the end. And oftentimes now I find counsel are actually signing off. When a claimant does not want to structure, they have uh, a little document. They release them saying that they, they inform them of the benefits of the structure settlement and they've clearly declined the offer. That's a very smart thing. In fact, in the States, a lot of the lawyers are doing that as well because people are, as you know, are human nature, are dissipating mm-hmm. the funds and coming back to the lawyer and saying, you know, you didn't do the, the right job for me and they're setting them up. One of the so, reasons that I like you dealing with uh, cross-border claims with uh, Wranglers in particular 
is that you can pick up the phone almost anywhere that you have a claim and you'll find somebody from Ringler. But the other thing is they're easier to deal with. It's like we're all part of the same team yes. trying to settle the claim. Whereas in Canada, it's not like that at all. Not it's at all. very hmm. adversarial between brokers. Interesting. And it's a battle. Interesting. And and Mark, when you do cases up here in Canada, like I have, I, one of the things that always gets in, gets in the way in some ways is this currency issue. You have the Canadian dollar versus the American dollar and the changing you know structure of that rate. Mark, how have, you, have you found that that's been an issue with some of the cases you've handled up here? Well, it just adds one more thing kind of to the moving parts list, Larry. So um, I think it's very valuable for us to have some sort of a relationship with representatives of a structured settlement firm here in Canada. Um, I think, you know, absent that, you're, you're kind of almost doing an injustice to your client. So uh, I believe that we should be resources, and in order to do so well for our clients, we need sometimes to expand that sphere to professionals here in Canada that know some of the issues from a currency standpoint. Um, the case that I did last year was a fairly sizable case, and actually some of the, I, I obtained a better exchange rate from my client working directly with the Canadian Structured Settlement representative. Mm-hmm. Interesting. We have, uh, I have a tax ruling that I'll leave with you. And uh, it, it's a Canadian lady who had an accident in the U.S. Um, total funding was by U.S. carriers. And um, the concern was, did it meet the code in the U.S. for tax-free mm-hmm. periodic payments? And secondly, did it meet the uh, standard for Canadian tax-free payments by Revenue Canada at that time? And I went to Rev Canada, and I got a positive tax ruling. And they, their position was really quite simple. If it's tax-free in the States, it'll be tax-free up here. Mm-hmm. And so I'll leave you with a copy of that stuff. Well, that's great. And, uh, you know, one of the things that Mark brought up just now, which is very uh, apropos, is that there are significant, and we've shown them today, significant differences in the structured settlement process in Canada versus the United States. And and those brokers in America, in the U.S., that, that somehow feel they can come up here and try to do these structures without involving a Canadian broker are, are really flying a little blind. And I think it's very important to have that relationship, with, with, as we do with Baxter. It's a wonderful thing to have. It, it is great, Larry. I, I don't know what I would do if, if I had to come up here and work on a case without having somebody who was on the ground here and knew the ins and the outs. And that really allows us to tell our clients that we'll be able to provide them some answers, uh, having a good allegiance and alliance with folks like you. I appreciate that. Well, that's terrific. Now, let me ask uh, you, Bob, if there are other people in the States that want to affiliate with you or talk to you about cases that they may have, how would they get in touch with you, Bob? How do they they reach you? We're listed in the uh, NSSTA book. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have a website or something? We do. It's com. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, the 1-800 number does not work in the States. It's only in Canada. Um, right. But you can look us up. Great. Or you can just call me, and I'll give you the number to Bob. Mm-hmm. I've got his local cell number, as a matter of fact. I that's think great. I have your home phone, phone number, too, Bob. Probably have my wife's cell. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, listen, I want to thank uh, all of you for being here today. Bob and Kyla, you've been terrific. Uh, Mark, you've been a big help to me in, in this in this broadcast. Um I just want to remind all of you out there in the audience that you can find all of the Ringler Radio shows on ringlerassociates.com. I encourage you to go and, and listen to the various topics. We have a lot of interesting uh, uh, issues that we've dealt with. 
But for all of us uh, here in Toronto that we're, in, that we're enjoying the city, aren't we, Mark? It's, it's been it's great. great. It's been great. And we're going to go out and try to have another great day here in Toronto. And I want all of you to have a great day wherever you are. Okay? Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential.